0: <laughs> I am familiar with uh, radio shows, radio interviews, and I watch a lot of them in my life. And so, mm. but you, you ladies, what you're doing is the podcast. It, it is a radio show, it, it's vastly no different. And you're fantastic presenters. And I'm very pleased and privileged to be on your show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're pleased and privileged to have you on our show. Hey. <laughs> hey.
0: <laughs> oh. the, it was, it. the mutual admiration society. That's fantastic.
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It is an interesting thing. In a sense, we have this like microorganism of a group, and within our small, little, isolated I- microorganism, you are the closest thing that we have to what would be called royalty or celebrity. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <terrible>. So it's <laughs> it is just it's an interesting. Um, to meet someone that you've heard yeah. of you've known in at least by mention or yeah. reference or whatever so That's it's right. very nice it's very cool
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm so happy for you i'm so happy for me <laughs> having such wonderful company uh,
1: we should probably tell everybody uh, who who we're talking to because they're not gonna uh, know <laughs>
3: yes <laughs> <laughs> introduction
1: yeah yeah little introductions <laughs> So welcome everyone to Butterflies and Bravery. I am your host, one of your hosts, (laughs) Jemima with my best friend for life, Whisper. Also. And then today we are joined by one of the berg. One of the Berg family, the Berg family is significant to us because David Berg was the leader of the cult that we grew up in. And this Berg that we have here today, do you go by Hosea?
0: No, I I, I go by David. And now you see what I was saying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good Lord. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're joined by David Berg, Jr., Jr. <laughs> Because you're the grandson, correct? That's right. And your father was Jose. My father
0: was. That's right. Second son. Okay. I am second son of second son.
1: The second. Oh wow. Oh, second you. son. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. So A little numerology um, there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we are very honored today to be joined by David. <laughs> it's so weird to say it that is, it is a little weird to say that oh.
0: Oh. i told you i warned you tonight <laughs> i did, oh. I, did give, I did give fair warning fairness that's funny it's, so, it could be down it could be downright like creepy as well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try not
1: to let that be that way. Oh
2: no. It's it's nice to actually start having a different form of reference to that name. <laughs> That's
1: yep, well, exactly. To change the goodness. feeling a little bit when you change hear the it. perspective. Yeah.
0: Good <laughs> yeah. News. Good news all around then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we thought it would be interesting to hear from someone in the actual physical genealogy of the leader of the cult. So we reached out to David Berg. <laughs> it's gonna, I don't oh know. Boy.
3: I'm not sure gonna, if that's ever You're going to be roll at this off the whole
2: time. <laughs> you're going to be at this the whole interview, aren't you?
3: I'll try so not to. Yeah.
1: But so we thought it would be interesting like, to hear some of his story. And what life has been like for him being in -hmm. the position that he grew up in, so to speak. Because in the cult, that was basically growing up as the royal family. Correct? Yeah. Yes. And so we thought it would be interesting to have a little bit of his perspective of the whole thing. And I don't know, I'm I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go because we like to be impromptu. But you uh, are going to find good. out soon. So go <laughs> so yes. tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: I was born in PSD Soul Clinic. Wow. And at the age of before one years old, I was taken on an Icelandic flight to England. Wow. With my wow. older brother, where my four siblings were born. Twins after me, Josh and Caleb. And then okay. my younger brother, Aaron. And then my youngest, sis- my sister from my full mom, Marie, they were all four born in England. And so my earliest memories of life at all are from England. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Libya for a while as a, a little, as a four-year-old.
2: Is that but, back in the time when like Berg was meeting Gaddafi? Is that the right time frame?
0: Yes, that's right. That was where I first uh, lived with Davidito. Okay. Oh, that's where my story with Davidito begins. And there are photographs of me and my older brother with Davidito as a toddler and also where I was around Muammar Gaddafi. My grandfather was invited, as I remember, by Gaddafi to Libya after he got one of my grandfather's letters. My grandfather wrote favorably about Gaddafi in one of his letters. And it was at the very early stages of the revolution there. And so my grandfather and his whole entourage got a personal invitation from Gaddafi to come to Libya. And we were staying in Gaddafi's actual house. And wow. out back of this Bedouin place was Gaddafi's family's tent. And wow. my older brother and I used to go to have our school in Gaddafi's tent. And if you know know about the Bedouins people, the, the tent is their most sacred thing. It literally goes back into their family's history. So, yes, yeah, I have memories and things to say about that. I we used to play behind the couch because my grandfather was dressed in a big white tunic and preaching away and, and lecturing on the Quran. And, yeah, so he was a personal guest of Gaddafi. And that's why my older brother and I was, were there with my father, and mother, and his wife Maria and 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 Davidita, who was a toddler. He was just a little toddler, yeah. And my earliest memories of him in the playing with him in the crib. And, um, and but and later, after that, we went to Italy. I, I I lived in Italy for about a few years. I can't remember how how, how long it was. And we traveled around Italy, and we used to, we used to go singing and basking. <laughs> my most significant memory was singing at the Vatican. <laughs> This is before wow. Pope John Paul was about to speak. And my teacher, who was wow. Zach star, he, he, he got arrested. And, and they picked him up, he was a little short Liverpoolian fellow. And the, the Swiss guard picked him up off both feet and carried him away to the jail. And he was in the jail.
3: <laughs>
0: and we were just little kids. We were sitting outside the jail crying. Then, when I was six years old, my brothers and sisters and I, we were flown to Hong Kong from Italy. We were flown to Hong Kong to be with my father, who at that time was publishing the Mo book. Oh, my grandfather crazy. flew my father to Hong Kong, and my father had experience with the publishing work from TSE, from publishing the pamphlets and like that, and technical uh, work. My grandfather was clever. He knew that it was the cheapest place in the world at the time to print books and to give it what it, what it needed. And my grandfather was all about show business, yeah?
3: yeah? About
0: presentation. So he flew my father there. And my father worked for uh, some time. And he published and he compiled the letters and they were put into the Mo book. It was the nice covers and the paper covers. And, and that was all printed there in Hong Kong. If you look in the back of the book, it's printed in Hong Kong. And it was uh, sent all over the world, literally, oh. by the container loads driver container loads that were shipped around the world. Who knows what cost that was. But anyway, I arrived in Hong Kong at six years old. And right away, we started to sing the Chinese people as we were taught. But that's part of the abuse. That's part of the story of my life and getting to know my father for the first time. And my youngest sister from my second mother, I grew up with two mothers, my youngest sister. She was born there in Hong Kong. So we were there in Hong Kong and I lived in Hong Kong and uh, we moved to Macau. I lived there until the time I was 17 years old. And at at 17 years old, I flew to Japan to the Heavenly City School uh, in Japan or the proper name, My Beloved Home. I was there in 87, 88.
1: I was there in 86. And 87. So I probably crossed paths with you because I was there when grandpa and Maria were living in the little hut outside the big school. Yeah. And Davidito was coming in with uncle Alfred to do handyman jobs.
0: That's right. I was there then.
1: Okay. Then we were both there at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) You were were living in the royalty area. I was in the normal area.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I I was living in the teen wing. I was seven.
1: That's where I was too.
0: Yes. So yeah. I, I I must I I know you then. I just haven't put the right face to you. Well,
1: my name was Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Yeah, I was Bathsheba, and I was taking care of the little kids with Auntie Heaven.
0: <laughs> oh my God! Oh, okay, okay. It's ringing a small bell here. Uh-huh. <laughs> But, but, but any but anyway, the point is that we were both there at that time there was um, loads is, of us yeah yeah there was i if I remember correctly there was upwards of 20 30 teenagers there mm-hmm. um, oh yeah and yeah how interesting you were there at the acs when I was there and when, when did you leave did you leave before they started to film the kitty videos?
1: Yes, I left a little bit before that they sent me to the Jumbo. To torture me there in the philippines
0: all right so i might have <laughs> just actually missed you we may have actually just missed one another and the reason for that is because they were moving just back and forth between the schools and yes i never went to the jumbo but my older brother went to the jumbo and my former wife was there at the jumbo jumbo oh so i, I must and, know
1: her too then
0: yes her name was i was there for was, like almost crystal. a year her name was crystal yeah. but in saying that remember there was a lot of us coming and going from those schools at different times so unless you really made a connection with someone like you did with whisper in thailand then you may not actually have a significant memory or you may have just missed one another yeah. but we were actually there in the same in the same places at the, at quite around about the same time because my brothers and sisters also came to japan i was the first to come to japan and they also came to japan and I was doing visa trips back and forth to, to Korea. And, the, and the, at the time, there was a lot of people that came from the Jumbo to Japan. And they had to leave because of their visas mixed up together. My my wife was one of them because the Japanese government kicked them all out. <laughs> it's a long story, but they tried to get a bunch of visas for everybody at the same time. But not as under the family, as under the, the family, but the Japanese government refused them thesis. So they were all blacklisted, which is very interesting. And every single person on that list was blacklisted and wasn't able to return to Japan after that. Yeah, so that's quite the Japanese on that subject. But yeah, from Japan I met my wife. I met my wife there at the Heavenly City School when I was 17. And she was one of those people that was blacklisted and not come back into the country when she went out of the country. So they sent her to Mexico oh. And I was there at the Japan school as a teenager, and at some point in time, I realized that uh, I was going to give it a shot and I, um, if she would marry me. So I sent her a letter asking if she would marry me, and month, months later, I got a reply saying she'd think about it if I came over there. So I had to get permission from my grandfather, and I flew there to Brazil with my older brother, who was married at the time to a, a Swedish girl. And we landed in Brazil. I, it was in 89. And I got, spent time with my wife, and then we got married. And shortly after, my first daughter was born there in Rio de Janeiro. I have four daughters. My eldest was born at that time in 91, there in Rio. And my second daughter, two years apart, was born in Sao Paulo where they had relocated, my wife and I, to be at one of the large homes there. And then we were also relocated again to Belo Horizonte, where my youngest was born. Then I traveled to other countries in South America, Peru, Bolivia, Ecuador, and Colombia. In my travels there as a family representative, it shaped my life a lot my time in south america i flew back to america for the first time i was 25 years old from brazil and it was the first time for me to ever meet my grandmother since rome italy yeah so that's how secluded i was from my family from my background i had two daughters born at that time in 97 we got an invitation by the European shepherds to go to Europe and to work as junior VFs, that sort of thing. I was always working with young people, teenagers. My wife and I—we were a pair of shepherds. I, I like to think we were a very good ones. And, I, and from, from what I've seen of life and, and the people that we worked with, it, it, that was true. We had a good effect on people that are older now. And I'm friends with them, and I love them dearly, <laughs> almost like my own children. And I jumped at the opportunity to go to Europe, uh, for sure. I wanted to return to America, but we were not allowed to. We, we just weren't allowed to do things that other people were allowed to do. We had to have permission to go anywhere and do anything. We were set, set and told, yes? My wife's parents are English South Africans. Her father is English. Her mother is South African. Right but she grew up in South Africa and, and for a short while when she was a little girl in England. Her parents were in England as her parents were TSs, and mm. for TSs to mix together with somebody like me was definitely noted and very closely screened by the leadership. yes. Yeah. But I was allowed to marry her. My grandfather gave permission. I actually, before I left Japan, I was told very clearly by the authority that that I needed to write my grandfather and ask permission to marry this girl and make an explanation, and that uh, some of his my brothers had gotten married without his permission and was very upset. Now, if you understand the power that my grandfather held at that time, it was <laughs> it was scary. Yeah, and so I wrote my grandfather a very respectful letter, and I think to this day I still have the letter and his markings on it he would write with a red pen yes. yep, sort of thing, exactly. and write back, C D Y blah, 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 And yeah. so when I had that letter, that was the King's Seal.
3: Right.
0: At the end of my seven years in Brazil, which is a lifetime and a story in itself, I, did, I jumped at the opportunity to go to, to e- England, to Europe, because I knew that it was going to be different from my life in Brazil. At, at that age, you're a bit more switched on to your economic possibilities and what you're what you can and can't do. My wife was visiting her parents in England with my three daughters. She had been given the money and the permission to go to England to visit her parents. And that's when the European crows got the idea because they met me at a a leadership meeting in Washington, D.C., yeah? Mm -hmm. The the leadership meetings in 96 in Washington, D.C. I'd like to say real quick here that when I was at Japan School, as as you're saying, Jemima, and my grandfather was there and in, in incognito. You weren't allowed to know it. They would close yeah, the curtain, yeah, yeah. walk around, yeah. But everybody knew. I asked at that time, very respectfully, that I could meet my grandfather, yes, because he's my grandfather. But actually, one day on a walk, I saw at the back of his head, and you know, and obviously I would have kissed his hand and knelt down and the whole thing, but. <laughs> I, I just tell you that because it gives a little bit of insight into what kind of person he was and what how reclusive and, and, and what my relationship to the entire story is, who yeah. I knew and when I knew them, yeah? But I never met Maria except from Libya when she, we were, I was a little child. You, you're Before talking we
2: about there. Karen Zerby. You never met her?
0: Never. And oh, wow. I, Yeah. I also never met my grandfather after Libya. So the response I got was that, It wasn't going to happen, meaning my grandfather, whether he was told or not, nobody can verify that, but I was not allowed to see my grandfather. And I was told that it was from him. Yes. But who knows what was what. But at that time, he was old now, fading. And I'm going to say a a little demented. Yes. I would say the the dementia started to step in. Obviously, part, part, part with the alcohol, drinking the alcohol. So I flew from Brazil to England to meet my wife because we were going to work for the crows. I knew Galio and Lisa. They were the crows in Europe at the time and a, a couple of others. And I met them at the meeting in, in BC. They must have liked me. And maybe the leadership in Brazil and South America had enough of me because I wasn't one to keep quiet. I was always talking out and I suppose as they might be talking out of terms and uh, again because of who I was physically related we were handled very carefully yeah with kit gloves but but we ourselves were not handled with kit gloves I mean we had to rough it like every single other soldier and from a very young child we were very seriously taught that the the, the scripture that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God and we were treated that way that okay. we were not in line for anything, and the best we could hope was to be a foot soldier, yeah? and maybe a captain, yeah. that's <laughs> quite literally how it was, and, and that proved true in my later years as a 25-year-old in the family leadership, that they had no intention of promoting me any higher than barely giving me a captain because of who my grandfather was, <laughs> so as, as you can see, it, it affected my life a lot, um, <laughs> and why I have such an emotional feeling connection with Davidito because I can relate in every way because it's very much like the movie The Prince and the Pauper. The two were identical, but then they were living in two opposite worlds. My brothers and sisters, we were the paupers. We used to sing for our money and ask for money on the streets in Hong Kong. So we grew up singing as child labor, quite literally. But I followed Davidito's progress as his sibling, yes, yes, and in magazines there in Hong Kong, Macau. And later it came out and was published into what was called the infamous Dito book. When I first met Deto from when I was a child. I was it was really <laughs> it was so <laughs> exciting for me so because I didn't know he was actually there. I wasn't actually told. It was all secret, yeah? Yes. And I didn't know Davidito <laughs> was there. So I'm on this hill hugging lugging these logs, seventeen year old lugging these logs and we're working it <laughs> And they put us in working gangs. That's another I look over, I look mm-hmm. over and this, this face is looking back at me. And I'm thinking all of a sudden these bells start going on in your head. You're thinking, wait a minute, that face is really familiar, you know? Uh,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: wait, a minute, wait a minute. That hang on, wait, have I have I seen that? Wait, I, I I was so shocked. I'd never heard his voice. And then this squeaky little voice spoke out and said, nah, 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 nah. And when he talked, it sounded just like my little brother. Yeah, identical. There's something That's to be funny. said uh, of a of a second hand American accent. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. you yes. didn't grow up
0: here in America. Yes, yeah? you can tell no, a lot about it. someone by their accent and where they've been and what they and what their what their background is. Yes, yeah? The um,
2: transatlantic accent.
0: <laughs> yes, it, uh, I see it as a second hand American accent because it was your parents. And and all the people around you that you inherited that and what is interesting that you will find is that they do then have an accent and a sound of their own from generation to generation. Then I found out it was Sava detail I was so excited, and I made it my full mission in life to befriend him because he was the prince. I was the right. pauper. yeah <laughs> and, and I made it my sole mission in life to befriend him and to and to get to know him. And we did develop a very Wonderful childhood friendship. We had a lot in common, and those are my treasured memories. Yeah. Because it was the only time that I was with Gavajito. Was there at the Japan School as a seventeen-year-old, and he was a few years younger than me. And his little toolbox that he had. And as a child, very clear the difference as to how you're treated and what you have to hoof it for, and what the other person gets handed to him. Yes. And yes, yes I, I, I confess, I was jealous of him that he had everything handed to him and I had to just work hard and as hard as every other foot soldier nobody bought me a toolbox (laughs) no and when I look back at it like now I have all the tools in the world but he's not alive and so when I reflect on our lives and I know from this point of view that I was the lucky one even though I had to run for it the whole time I ended up being the lucky one, and he was the unlucky one, even though he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. It turned out to be his curse. And when I heard of his death, I heard that he left the family. And so obviously, like you do with a younger brother or sibling, I had every intention to get in touch with him when I came back here to America, yes? Because I was no longer under any restrictions not to be able to communicate with him, and and neither was he, yes? So I was very much looking forward to it. And then I heard that he had left the family, and I even better news. And then when my wife told me that he had died, I I was completely devastated, completely crushed. It, it, it took me a long time to get over that. But yeah. if I, I found that he had died, and then later when I came to America, I saw I found his, his suicide video. You can be sure that when I heard of the death, his death, I was angry and then also I had every intention when I returned to America here to do my own investigation (laughs) (laughs) to find out exactly what happened to someone who I saw as a brother yeah and and to know why how and went and and to make my own judgments of it yes and so when I found his suicide video I didn't need a lot more explaining after that it's pretty much lined up with what I knew already from my life yeah um, my wife and I, my three daughters at the time, we ended up at the lake house in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And I used to take witnessing teams into Zurich. My wife and I were given the the, the job of traveling around England and Ireland and Scotland and showing the Peter videos. And so that's what we did. We would go to the home and we'd show the Peter videos. And uh, this all the time that I was in the family, I was a figure that to to be used uh, at their, at their, I was a loyal subject and never questioned. Oh, I did actually touch a question a lot later, which is why they started to move me on. But uh, yes, from that time in Europe, uh, for the first time being around my, my in-laws there and my wife got pregnant at the time with my youngest daughter, who's now in a college in London and an American college in London, if you know. <laughs>
3: so,
0: at the time, again, being a loyal subject, I had wanted to reform the family and wanted to, to make it a better place. But on the, one of the trips to America here, I came, my brother showed me the James Penn letters. And hmm. because before that, at the time, I was still officially a family member and not only a family member, but supposed to be in some circle of, of leadership. Yes.
3: Yeah? Right.
0: Uh, I'm just giving you a basic idea of where I made my decisions, yes, and where I came across these these decisions, life-changing decisions, which we all know it is. I read the James Letter and I knew in my heart that he was right, you know, and it was very scary to hear it in the inside. And of course, from what I had heard from my life, I I made a conscious decision to my, I told my brothers, I've just he decide to leave the family my brother said no you can't. wait a minute slow down you can't just make a decision like that from reading the James Payne letters I said yeah I'm officially because for me it's all in or nothing yes it's, it's all you right. no, it, you are in or you are out you're either doing with your whole heart or you're not doing with your whole heart yeah
3: and when mm-hmm. I found
0: out the deceit that was going on I said I'm out of this and I'm out of it with my whole <laughs> heart it was at that time that my wife also from reading the letters and when I go back to you and we both Officially agreed together to officially leave the family, and as I said, everything you've seen up to my life to this point has was official. <laughs> as you said, it, it was always official, and you was offic- You were officially demoted and kept at that place, or you were officially so. Told- yeah, so I made the decision to officially leave the family there with my wife, and well, we didn't say anything or do anything. We just left and started to pursue our own life, and I had to get a job. I had my Makita Power Tools from Brazil that I had bought in America. My tools are the story of my life and where I've traveled and what I've done. And also the skill and what I am today. So uh, I was skilled with my tools. And Peter Amsterdam gave me a $1,000. Um, to buy Makita tools, and I was there at the 96 meetings. I just say that for the reference because <laughs> it, it comes up at certain points of the important part of my life. Yes. And, uh, yes, I bought Makita power tools uh, after the meetings there in D.C., and I flew uh, them to Brazil in a bag. I had to start working on building sites to, to earn money because I was an American, and th- we, we were not eligible for any English dole or we were eligible for literally nothing because I was an American. I was the registered father of the children. And yeah, so I had to get out there on the English building site and start working. I was 27 years, or 28 years old and it was my first wow. job where actually got a job and learned and I was earning £3.50 an hour. But my skills always shone through uh, and my discipline in life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My devotion, my heart, my wholehearted approach to life—I applied it to my next, my next challenge. yeah? and I had significant experience there in England on the building sites, on and off for ten years, mm-hmm. which is a, a story in itself. But yes, we, I was working on the English site and we were officially out of the family. And if you can imagine, I—I I went from being. A, a well-known person in the family, someone who she was respect and, and acknowledgement. Yes. And I was working on English building sites and, the, and all of a sudden I was quite literally what they said, the, 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 you're the shit on the shoe. <laughs> they, they, literally, they, they literally say that they say, you're just a shit on the shoe. And at some point in time, you start, you start to question where have I gone wrong? I started to work in earnest in England on the job sites because, we had a new base <laughs> and we had to support ourselves and we didn't get any uh, money from the government. Luckily, yeah. like I said, I had my Makita tools that I had bought in America and D.C. and I had gone to Brazil with and then I also you know, I flew to England with them. And I, that's where I showed up to work with my Makita tools. And I, and then, so we decided to go to South Africa because, like I said, we no longer were under. You had that permission to go somewhere on clearance. So we were choosing to go, my wife and I at that time, we were deciding to either come back to America or to go to South Africa. And being that we were still missionary minded and her parents are wonderful example and impacted my life in a big way. And and being there in England, we decided to go to South Africa. In 1999, we flew to South Africa with all the four girls. And we were there with her mother and father and other dear people. But we were still in the process of getting my daughters their English citizenship. Okay. Funnily enough, that's where I am with my daughters right now, getting them their American citizenship. But, yes, which is quite significant because my daughters, um, they're one of some of the few people probably in the world that can hold four different passports legally. Because some countries, you can't hold a passport from other countries if you hold a passport, but they make you choose, yes?
3: Mm-hmm. But, my
0: daughter at the moment, the, as they apply for their American citizenship, being that I'm American-born and my heritage, yes? Right. So, yeah, we flew back to England, and I was back on the site there, and that's when 9-11 happened, and that's the story in itself. Uh, My parents-in-law were renting a place and later bought the property, and I was living there with them on the property. We didn't get along very well, so my wife and I moved to a property nearby. And so my daughters see South Africa as their home. It is their home. And their second home is England, yes? Even though they're born in Brazil, they don't have hardly any memory of it, but are curious to go back for sure to the places that they were born. So there was the Y2K, was it, is it gonna be a big scare or whatever, right? And so we were back in England for that. Or oh, I can't remember, nothing happened. During that 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 time, I was back and forth from 2001 and 2002. I, I made periodic trips back here to America and also to England to work, to earn a living. I flew back here to America because I knew I could buy an affordable mosquito tools. whereas in England, they were so expensive still at the time that I, I couldn't even afford them there. I had a puppet show, and I was in ballooning. I had a really nice puppet show. I actually, I built the puppet theater in Switzerland, in Zurich. And we did some puppet puppets in England, and I bought puppets when I came back here to America. Oh, speaking of puppets, I wanted to comment on that, because on your program, you're about Peter Puppet. Yes. Um, I, was, I was so happy to hear you talking about it. I met Peter Puppet when I was 10 years old in, in Australia. You know? my, oh, wow. I flew there to be a, a child care help to so Peter and Yasko, Leadership Sorry?
2: I said at 10 years old. <laughs> You're the child help, the care help. You're not the kid that needs child care. We,
0: <laughs> we were very mature
3: children.
0: We were very mature children. away like, from so. an adult. <laughs> Anyway, the point was that yes, I sorry. There, and they had to have a hostess that was responsible for me on the airplane. And I also passed by Thailand on the way back and spent a few days in Thailand at 10 years old.
2: You were 10 and somebody had to go with you on the plane, but who was with you when you were in Thailand if you had to stay there a few days?
0: They had the family meet me at the airport and hand me over to the family. I don't remember who it was. (laughs) And I went to a home in Thailand. But I I say that because of that time in Thailand, when you talk about your time in Thailand, and also my in-laws, my my mother and father-in-law, they also spent years in Thailand. And so... So uh, when you're in the Far East, you get a pretty good taste of what it's like. And I, I certainly relate to your story. I mean, I, I know exactly what you get when you're talking about the bathrooms being completely tiled and malnutrition, <laughs> passing out, dying, and the, the heat and the humidity. I'm with yes. you there. Yeah. Yeah, and my wife also was in Thailand for a long time. Yeah, so once you're in, in Asia, all those countries have similarities and significant differences too, like huge differences. Oh, Peter Puppet, yes. Because of who I was, some people paid me attention, yes? And Peter Puppet came up to me one day and I, I was a childcare worker. They were the VS's, yes? And they, and he said, Hey, do you wanna show you something? And he took me aside and he got this little square and he chopped away with a pair of scissors and he made a, a, a lion. A lion and he went and got a, a piece of carpet and he, he stuck it to his and made it a mane out of it. We got an old sweater and a stick and <laughs> That was it for me. Basically, Peter Puppet, um, you know, jinxed me, you know, right there with the puppet. And later, I bought a $300, you know, professional line when I started to do puppets myself. And I, I took that puppet back with me and I treasured it for years. And I did puppet shows. And it was before Peter Puppet even made the love it. Oh, okay. He was oh. in a campsite. And he had been working <laughs> freelance with other family members with with. With TV stations, they were wanting to start their own TV program. and But then they went to the Philippines, and in the Philippines is where the lovet was born, yes? Yeah. And later, Life with Grandpa, which was an improved version of the It. yes? Yes. Peter Puppet is a very dear person to me, and when I heard of his cancer and him dying, I was very crushed as well. And hearing about it from their side, you know... I didn't understand any of it actually. I didn't understand the medication. My grandfather's opinion. All I knew is that my grandfather had a very serious opinion about Peter Puppet, and then later he died. That's all I was told. Yeah, That's all I yeah. knew. But yeah, Peter Peter Puppet is yeah, an angel in my life, and, and actually, yeah, affected me for sure with the puppet because okay. I used that to to earn a living some of the time in South Africa. Yeah, hmm. when my little. And so I definitely got the puppet thing from him. When I was in South Africa, I thought we shipped the Pajero, the Mitsubishi 4x4. We shipped it to South Africa, living in the caravan. And I quickly found out that doing work as a, a, a children's entertainer was not going to pay enough money, yeah, for mm-hmm. us to live off of. And the only thing I knew as a sure thing was that if I got back on a plane, either to America or to England, I could stand on a job site, yeah? I could get a job yeah and so that's what I did I I think my first trip from South Africa was to America here and that's a significant story in itself that's where I started to work in America doing very significant work and bought some more tools here doing oak floors. anyway that's a story in itself but as you see the story of my life is the story of my work my experience in the work world but so I was making U.S. dollars and flying back to South Africa and then f- flying to England, making English pounds, flying back to South Africa with them. I was doing that every year, every other year. And later on, as it went, my longer trips were nine, 10 months away from my kids, working in England on the job site. Yeah, my experience on the job site, working in England, it shaped and changed my life. It was the first place I, Began to understand. This was the first time that right and wrong had nothing to do with religion or Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Every single thing in my wiring was that right and wrong was eventually led to Jesus. Yeah. I. I was the first time I met what I would call honest men. Eventually, my, my wife and I we separated. And I came back here to America in 2009. I was actually on a site in England. I shipped my tools from London here to Texas. And I was waiting for them to arrive because I had jobs lined up to do. But my tools hadn't arrived yet. Yes, And I started to work here in America. And since then, I've had a, a very busy life. I have a very w- significant working knowledge of building work from these different places in the world, yeah um, from the most primitive type building places, which gives you a foundation mm-hmm. in our work into every single material that you work with from metal to stone to wood to water. if you have a foundation in every one of those, yeah yes. then you can you can become an expert. At Each one of them, which is what I, I now at 50, I'm happy that I am because it helps me get by in life.
1: Yeah. So we mostly heard how you got to where you are now and about how you picked up your trade and all of that type of thing. Now, you were saying you wanted to talk a little bit more about your actual self and your ideas and...
0: Yes, I would like to come to a conclusion, a, a summary of my feelings about Davidito and the family and my grandfather,
3: yes, and sense, be very yeah.
0: clear on that. And then, as anyone w- wants to get to know me honestly, you can't make a judgment and opinion on someone unless you truly get to know know how they feel, who they really, what they are. Absolutely. And, and my, my greater concern, I think, is, is the future. And because it's a difficult thing to work with the future, because we have to work with the now so presently and urgently. When a foreman comes to your work area, he points, he points, he points he points this and he points at that and he just says, put right. That's what he says. And he walks around and he points to put right. Now, he doesn't say and explain what the right is you are supposed to know what the right is or you better go and find out what the right is otherwise if you come to the area again and it's not put right then obviously you, you, lose the, you haven't done what you're supposed to do yeah mm, and okay. might so uh, the principle of put right is something's in my area in my life and in my space that as much as I can to the best of my ability I'm supposed to put it right or if I don't know what the right is, then I'm supposed to do what I can to find out what the right is and, and go towards that. Yeah, and so it's in that put right that that I speak about my past, my grandfather Davidito, because I think it's, it's in subject for many people. It's something that it hasn't been put right, and so for my part, I'd like to put it right. And whatever I say, because of my background, I will face consequences. Everybody faces consequences for what they say, but being because of my famous heritage, it comes present to me more quickly. And, and none the least of which is my own brothers and sisters, my own siblings. And we, we don't, and have not ever really agreed on any of of our, our past. And, stuff. and, and as you do with siblings, we, we don't agree <laughs> on things. We have different views and opinions on it. And so I, I like I need to make myself very clear on this subject because when I talk about this subject, I'm talking about our personal family as well. And also for my own daughters, they're all my siblings and my children are all very intelligent, clever people. And they all have an opinion on what I have to say publicly eventually when they come across it. But yeah, so start, none of us do agree with. The course and the decisions that Davidito made in, right. in the murder suicide we, we don't agree with that yeah I do not agree with that nobody does nobody in their right mind but the question here is was there other factors involved and have they been properly considered as mm-hmm. being the cause and one side won't acknowledge if there's any wrong done and the other side it says that, sees it quite clearly that there was a lot of wrong done there. And whether his suicide video and things he said, if they actually were valid and had some basis for his complaint, yeah, which he was willing to give his life for, which is quite serious when you, when you realize that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think it did exactly that. And there's a lot more that can be set up. But like I said, I want to sum up the subject. And that is do the people, the people in the family like Peter and Maria and my grandfather, which is all the same story, do they deserve the respect and reverence that they get from people? Or should there be some question involved and and should they be seen as questionable people doing and living in a, a, well, not right, basically. Mm -hmm. And When you have a difficulty and a problem in life, the best thing you can do is learn as much as you can about it
3: Mm -hmm.
0: so that you can understand what has happened as you do with with things that come up. And that's what I did with the family. I I came to an understanding that the family was the phenomenon, or you can call it, that happens in, in nature when a group of people, uh, a, a cult, gets together and all decides to share the same illusion. It's an agreed-upon illusion, yeah? yeah? And it's so significant, and it's well-documented that it happens with all sorts of consequences, Yes. Yeah? that mm-hmm. sociologists and so on, it's actually studied and looked at by the academia. Mm-hmm. But when the family first began, the, the, the journalists also find interest in this, and the BBC did a documentary called The Ultimate Trip. Uh, you might have probably heard of it. Yes. Yeah? And it's interesting because it was always held up to us as being the BBC. It was, you know, they were this amazing documentary of the good work that the family was doing and Jesus and everything like that, you know. But after seeing it back now, it, it, it wasn't that at all. It was, mm-hmm. in fact, a journalist doing an investigation into another one of these outcroppings of this phenomenon of young people all. Deciding to share an illusion, yes, yeah? yes. And in fact, in his interviews with them, he even warned them, or he even gave them—I um, should say—reference to uh, you reference to that uh, the abandonment of reason to to some fervor and some uh, ideology, yes, yeah?
3: right.
0: Because when you speak to English reporters or people from England are intelligent, they will question you on what's going on, yes, yeah? mm-hmm. and. When the judge in England that resided over Simon and Pearl's case, when the judge ruled on the case, he said that that stepping on your children, reaching for God's glory, and Mm -hmm. that is exactly what had happened. This shared mass illusion brought about incredible damage to to people that were caught up in it, like a tsunami. Yes, that's what these times, they're actually a force of nature that takes hold in, in the psyche, yes? That yeah. people do, and they do it for very fundamental, basic reasons, yes. Yeah? And mm-hmm. that is to, to when they to feel secure, to the tribe. There's a high involved. There's a there's a social high, and that's very much what the family was founded on. And the young the people that founded it, they were no more than just a few American young people. And my grandfather, who's <laughs> who's now seemed to be a, a sorcerer in his own, yes, yeah? but. The history that it comes from, and the America here at the time, as it was evolving, gave rise to many of those types of things because of the newness of the people of this country and of their incredible uh, intensity in their religious belief, yeah? Mm -hmm. It was an evolving country. So I came to understand that we are casualties of of nature or casualties of, of evolution. It doesn't mean that everyone involved does not hold accountability for the choices that they made. That should go without saying. Yes. But Yeah. So when you had people coming in from England has quite past that level of, of maturity,
3: mm-hmm.
0: yet America is still an evolving country and still quite young. And even in general, it had, like I said, different countries have their strengths and weaknesses. America has significant strengths in its ability to evolve in the up, up, up in the front, but mm. but they don't have their historical roots. Yes. Yeah, that keep them from flying off the defense. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So that is what I came to understand about the, the family and, and, and what it was and how it affected my life and everyone's life in it. And coming to that understanding was very helpful to me. Um, Because as I said, to, to understand the subject, you must look at it intellectually, intelligently, but also you can't really feel it unless you feel it with your emotions. And on that subject, I wanted to thank both of you, Jemima and Whisper, because, like I said, when I saw your advertisement, mine was advertising on Facebook to um to listen, just to be a listening ear. And and I came across your your, your program. I was really touched, you know I've I haven't been so selfless to give my time to that. And I have to say that even just last week I I thought I had worked through my issues, yes. And and I was coming to to terms with but so I didn't think of myself as being someone to, to call in and speak to you. But but when we did get in contact, and now that I have spoken with you, I can already feel the good effect in my life <laughs> um, uh-huh. of being, being able to, to say this. And, and I wanted to thank both of you for that and say that what a wonderful job you're doing. So I, I knew that it was a good thing, but then now <laughs> I've, been, I've been experiencing it. It's not just a good thing, but a wonderful thing. Why? Because as the next generation comes into being, by listening to the, the issues and the subject of the former generation, and it, it brings about an understanding, a greater a better understanding, and thus, the next generation doesn't repeat the same mistake, and it is, it's a better place for them, and the people that live through it also come to an understanding of it, and eventually an acceptance. Life hits you with a great big stick of unfair, we all know that, but we must take that stick and use it as a crutch um, at least for, for a while but the purpose of it is to be able to learn to use that stick to recover so well to use that stick as a weapon huh. to, to take away everything in anything everyone and everything in your way from your true path towards your future and I, I say this that identifying with victimhood and or the survivor mentality it's a a fact you are and that Mm. is absolutely right and you must work through those issues you must make a full recovery Uh, evolution doesn't do well with second play and certainly as a parent you need to be at the forefront of life in order to, to be an example and a support to them which is what we want so the future is always coming at you and and that's what we're not meant to stay in the hospital we're meant to recover and and go out and and those are the best stories that we all identify with people that maybe they were in difficulty but they overcame it and then they you know, became champion even against all the odds those are the things that lift our souls our spirit yeah yes yeah yes we we need to be responsible in order to make the world a better place for our young people, for our children, for the people that we love that go forward.
1: Awesome. Thank you. So we'll end this like we always do. Stay brave and remember that every butterfly was once a caterpillar.